When Spike Lee released his Oscar-nominated masterpiece, Do the Right Thing, in 1989, audiences instantly recognized that a dynamic new voice had arrived. But it was just three years earlier that Lee's career began with his romantic comedy, She's Gotta Have It. And though it doesn't have the same cultural cachet as Do the Right Thing, it's nonetheless a remarkable and important film. The film is centered around Nola Darling, a young black woman living as an artist in Brooklyn. She's simultaneously dating three other men, the freewheeling, Nike-wearing Mars Blackman, the industriously manicured model Greer Childs, and the sophisticated and dashing Jamie Overstreet. All three of the men compete for Nola's attention, and all three contend with the one undeniable facet of Nola Darling's life. She's gotta have it. Shot on a shoestring budget in only 12 days, Spike Lee's debut feature can feel rough around the edges. But don't be fooled by the spare production design and lo-fi sound quality. The film is shot on beautiful black and white 16mm, which is only aided by Lee's quasi-documentarian aesthetics. At times, the characters speak directly to the camera, as if they were merely documentary subjects. Spike brings us subjective storytelling, allowing the characters to literally speak for themselves. What we get in the end is a fair look at these characters, good or ill. Lee presents them plainly, without bias or judgment. Carried by a sparkling script and directed confidently by a first-time filmmaker, She's Gotta Have It as a soulful look at vibrant young love. Kelly McCrillis and Ryan Graves presenting A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms about serious films about serious topics. Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. Ryan, is this your first podcast about this movie? Please, baby, please, baby, 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 baby please. Is it your first? <laughs> Hasn't that been stuck in your head? Yeah. <laughs> Spike Lee was great. <laughs> well, okay, so Sarah came in. Uh, near the end of it and she's like that actor is very bad and i was like that was spike Spike lee Lee. she's like well spike lee's a bad actor (laughs) i don't think he's a bad actor i think i think there's a couple points in time in this movie where i'm like you're great and another couple times where i'm like that's fine (laughs) yeah so we're doing she's gotta have it spike lee's uh debut film yeah we're doing the movie not the tv series we might get to the tv series one day yeah but wow i never knew that spike lee did an art house movie so art housey art well, house yeah i mean this is art the house. this is the do the right thing guy this is mr art house where where else i don't know do, do the right thing feels and, and maybe it's just the black and white and maybe because um like the art the the sound quality of this one just feels like just like student film just out of college yeah not in a bad way no. it's just that raw like we're we're new to making feature films thing that we all go through where it's like the sound could be better, but something about it also seems appropriate. Yeah. It goes with the black and white. Yeah. Yeah. So this is his first film and it's either his third, I think it's his third film that he did do the right thing, which is probably I'll say the most important film on race relations. Would you confer? I mean, having a hyperbole of the, I'll put it in the top three. Maybe I shouldn't say the, but I think one we of the most say important. One of the most, for sure. I mean, this is this is definitely this is 1986, right? Yeah. This is how many years before Do the Right Thing? Let's just let's just look it up. Okay. Yeah, Do the Right Thing, 1989. It's his third film. He had another film before it, which was called School Days, which is kind of like um, kind of a dear white people kind of movie. 
Um, it was kind of like Dear White People in the 80s. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I mean, I'm interested to see that now because this movie, um, spoilers for enjoyment, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, it was, uh, there were definitely some points in time where I was just like, like, I don't know. It, it tells you right up front from the credits, like, hey, just to let you know, take me seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be a little arty. Yeah, so it opens with a poem, um, an excerpt from Zora Neale Hurston, Their Eyes Were Watching God. And have you read that book? Uh, I can't remember if I read the whole book. I've definitely read a section. Did you, it were was you supposed to read for, it in high school? <laughs> no, it was definitely for one of the college courses. Help oh. me out. What would have that have been? Multicultural American Lit? No. It was with Fred. Fred definitely made it, made me read it. Uh, I don't, well, maybe multimedia because it was a def- it was a movie as well. No. Well, I don't know. It was something. I read it and I didn't really care for it, but I was like the only one in my class who didn't like it. Oh, I enjoyed it. Um, it was one of the few books in, in, I, I read that in 11th grade and we read it amidst, uh, the other ones were The Awakening by Kate Chopin, um, or Chopin. I don't know exactly how to say that. Or Chopin. Chopin. Kate Chopin, the axe lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that Scarlet Letter and, uh, Grapes of Wrath. Mm-hmm. And so those four books were our, like our books that we read for AP English. Way to go, Eastern Washington. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it was AP. So, you know, they were stretching their legs a little bit, but, um, this this book was definitely the most poetic out of all of them. Definitely. Yeah. So what's your read, literally your read, of why he opens with this poem or this excerpt? I remember it being the difference between men and women was kind of at the intersection of the excerpt. Mm-hmm. Like where... But I, I'd have to read it right now to really comment on it. Okay. Well, either way, we're going to say... Uh, opens with Zora Neale Hurston. Good on you, Spike Lee. We can really take, uh, we're going to take you seriously right off the bat. Yeah, would you like to take Spike Lee seriously? Yeah, I guess. I guess we should. I mean, he's starting off on the right foot. But at the same time, like my favorite thing I think about Spike Lee is whenever you have one of, like his characters in the movie aren't the most serious characters. Right. And I love that about him. Right. Like if there's, if there's anything that I can relate to as a filmmaker, if I was in a film, there's no way I'd be pairing, playing the serious leads. Yeah. And so what's fun about, I mean, this is probably his most playful film in the first phase. Granted, I haven't seen a ton of his films and I'm working on that. <laughs> uh, I just, I literally just bought the Criterion Blu-ray to do the right thing. Cause I was like, what's wrong with me? I need to own that. Um, but yeah, he, he usually is making movies like Malcolm X or Crooklyn or Mo Better Blues, which is about, but he's know, also bigger topics. Yeah. But he's also, and shy, like something like Chirac is a bigger topic, yeah. but it's, it's also a musical, right? Yeah. And, and so he seems like a filmmaker who I'm trying to find another filmmaker like him. And it's hard. Like the, the first one that pops into my head is Ang Lee, not because he, he deals with social issues. Like, cause I would say Spike Lee is always dealing with a new social issue. Yeah. Whether it's in this movie, like women's sexuality mm-hmm. kind of, or, you know, do the right thing, race relations in a small neighborhood. Yeah. Or like Malcolm X, like Ang Lee kind of breaks genre. And in the same way, Spike Lee kind of works within the same theme, but he does a whole bunch of different genres. Mm-hmm. Whether like this one's 
this one's not a sex comedy. It's it's kind of like a a social dramedy almost. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely is more of a rom com than some of our other choices because like then Brokeback Mountain. Like this yeah. movie starts off seriously, but it's not Brokeback Mountain. Series. Yeah. So the movie's about Nola, um, a young woman living in New York. Nola City. Darling, what a Nola. good name. And uh, as the title explains, she's got to have it. Yeah. And, uh, and it is sex. Yeah. And she... With a man, <laughs> because that that's something that like comes up in the movie yeah. where where she, she wants to have sex. And I think posing um, the character is not... Um, it's Opal Gilstrip is uh, the lesbian character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And she approaches... Let's talk about that for a second. She approaches um, Nola a couple of times. And I think that's Spike saying like, look, just because you like sex doesn't mean you want to have sex with everybody necessarily. Right. Right. And I think the show might actually have something to talk about on that front. Okay. To continue it. Because I feel like I saw the trailer on the show and she had a girlfriend in the show. Yeah. And and that's how I would update this. Yeah. Um, but like each it, each each character is brought into this movie via an interview. It's almost like a, a mockumentary mm-hmm. like that, where each of these characters are giving their opinions on Nola and her habits. And each of these characters have interacted with Nola in different ways. Like we have her three boyfriends. We have her old roommate, uh, her Cla- dad, Clorinda, her dad, Opal who is like kind of her friend, but is seems, seems like a friend who's a little bit more interested in sleeping with her just because the, the two interactions we get, she's taking care of her when she's sick. But the next time she comes over, she's like, Hey, I, I see that you just broke up with your guy. You want to, you want to maybe, you want to maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And through, through all of these different lenses, we view Nola and actually Nola has a voice herself, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. She's also talking to the camera. And so this fourth wall is broken and it feels like half a narrative, half a, a documentary into Nola's life. And so it feels more like Spike speaking to our generation. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the plot is pretty cut and dry rom-com where she's trying to juggle three boyfriends at once and the guys eventually are aware of each other yeah if not almost from the beginning because um as let's see what's his name uh jamie says jamie's jamie's kind of the steadfast one who gets closest i would say Mm -hmm. to nola he says that she doesn't lie like she's upfront about everything and so I feel like there's never a point in time when the guys don't know that she's sleeping with somebody else. Yeah, but they're aware, uh, you know, they definitely are aware that they're competing with mm-hmm. other guys. Yeah. And they're still going along for but, it. Maybe but are they competing with other guys? Because I think Nola would say that they're not. They would feel that they would feel that they're competing. Well, yeah, they do, but she doesn't. And I yeah. think that's an important distinction to make. In this I think group. she's being willfully ignorant about that. I think she's trying to have her cake and eat it too. I think, and I'm not saying that she can't. Sure, I I agree with you in a way as well because um, this is a movie that's talking about like a non-monogamous 
like relationship, somebody who's, I mean, this is before Polly. I mean, I don't know that for sure, but it feels like it was a movie that was made before Polly was necessarily an everyday term that people would use. Polly, like Pollyanna. What do you mean by Polly? Oh, okay. Here's no, some, I know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> no, but I was like, I have to give you that. No, talk. but, but there may be some people out there so you can, sure. let's make sure so, we're on the same page. So Polly being if, um, and a lot of people have different kind of relationships they keep when they are being poly. It means that you can have multiple relationships with multiple people and the res- but you aren't being monogamous very intentionally. And your intentionality with that comes from being very open about who your partners are, whether it's romantic, whether it's just sexual, whether it's any any different degree of intimacy, you're kind of open about the amount of partners that you keep mm-hmm. and nola i would say is somebody who's poly or wants to have a poly lifestyle in a non-poly 1986 yeah and her boyfriends are putting up with her quasi pseudo poly lifestyle and not the conflict is that that they're not on the everyone in the room is not on the same page of what's going on or Uh they've not, they're not all signatory to what this relationship is. I I would say they don't approve yet. They want to be with Nola. And so they deal with it. So the best like representation of this is like later in the movie when she has them all over for Thanksgiving. Yeah, All three of these guys and let's introduce the guys. Okay. So my favorite is Spike Lee. Please, but please, but please, but please. please. That's so good. Uh, Spike Lee's name is Mars. Mars. Blackmon. What about Nola, darling? What do you want to know? I thought she was a freak. You know, freaky dicky. You asked why I contained a steer? It looked like a retard. I'm not crazy. The sex was death. Nola had the goods and she knew what to do. Look, all men want freaks. We just don't want them for a wife. And so I it's B- Blackmon. Yeah. And so it's like... It's so good because it's so close to being black man. And he's the one who like really gives um, our second character, uh, Greer Childs, a lot of guff for being so white. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then what's Greer? I mean, Mars Blockman, what is his you love him the most? What is what is his personality? His like you can see that. And this is explained later by who's the bodybuilder. What's his name? That's Greer. Greer. Greer Childs. Yeah. Uh, Greer's like, we became this like three headed, <laughs> three penis, <laughs> three six legged <laughs> boyfriend monster. And, you know, in a certain way, I think that's what Nola either knew or subconsciously knew that the three of them together kind of created the perfect boyfriend. So like right. Mars is the fun one. He's really funny. She he always makes her laugh. Uh-huh. It's always a good time when Mars is over. Yeah. And and he seemed like he seems, you know, sexy and sexual, but always in a fun, funny way. Yeah. Like he's probably the most fun to date casually. Yeah. And then you have Greer Childs, who's my least favorite. Yeah. And I think he's intentionally the least favorite. He's he's he, kind of a tool. He's a tool. He thinks he's suave and he's hot, but he knows it. He's, yeah. He's the worst kind of dude. But he's definitely the hottest. He's the hottest. I mean... Okay, because he's a model. That's his whole thing. I've never seen anybody like to look at themselves more than you do. Don't you ever get tired? Never happened, baby. Right. Like he's he's the I'm going to say this hottest. <laughs> I don't think he's the like out of the three of them. He's not the one I think is most beautiful. Right. But he is probably the most symmetrical and muscly. Yeah, yeah he's the most classically, you know, 
Right. And so he he's the body. Like yeah, if yeah. if we're going to say that um <laughs> uh Spike Lee uh being Mars is the uh brain we we have Yeah, I don't know if we want him to be the brain. No, no, no he's got to be the brain. He's he's the brains. He's the quick one. He's he's yeah. the entertainer, right? And then we have uh Greer being the which stupid name. Um Greer is the uh body. The body. And then Jamie is the heart. Is the heart. Jamie Overstreet, which is just a fun name. Yeah. Uh cuz Jamie obviously loves her the most. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the most Earnest. He's, he's earnest and he's kind, like, especially compared to Greer, who is makes her he almost he I mean, negs her. He's already dating her and he like negs her all the time. He's like, hey baby, if you're not gonna be pretty, you know, I'm I'm not gonna date yeah, you. Yeah, and he pressures her into going to therapy when she doesn't think she needs yeah. it. He, oh, the worst kind of boyfriend. He gaslights her into thinking she's a sex addict, which is up for debate. Um, but it's also not something the way he does it is so toxic. Yeah, I I would say that she, we pretty much, I come down on the side of she's not a sex addict, but she- um, Gotta have it. She's got, well, I, I would say that she, at certain points in time, uses people a little selfishly. And by people, I just mean Jamie. Because and and it's complicated because Jamie also takes out his frustration and there is a scene that is very close to if not kind of a rape that happens. Yeah. But, so if you watch this movie, be be warned. Yeah. That's, trigger warning. It's in there. But it's but it's also an extremely complicated moment because there's a yeah. lot of emotions and intentions going on. There. And it's it well maybe we'll talk more about it later. But it is a good conversation for how consent works and mm-hmm. how it broke down in that scene yeah because it's it's like consent consent was there and then it disappears halfway through yeah and then and then it's done it's yeah and well it should have been done yeah yeah and so we'll, we'll get into that perhaps um but so that's the setup like you were saying yeah she's she's young woman new york and uh, brooklyn yeah, yeah she's got a fervent sex drive and mm-hmm. she's dating these three guys <laughs> she has a million candles in her house yeah, and <laughs> that's a fire hazard i just <laughs> want to say that but the conflict is really pretty simple setup just she's ta- she's trying to juggle a relationship with three dudes yeah there's an entire um young indiana jones episode about this uh to- how does indy handle it he gets really stressed. I think there's some adventure and um, he well, probably, good. I'm assuming he gets slapped twice and then he falls in love with somebody at the end. Good. Good yeah. for young Indy. It, those are bad, but I liked him a lot as a kid. So um, at the Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. they, which happens like three quarters of the way through the movie. Yeah. She, she has them all in the same room and some of the best dialogue is here when the guys are actually competing with each other yeah, and you get yeah. the personalities really coming out. A lot of dick swinging. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty fantastic. It's, it's just good character revelation. Um, but a scene after that is, or two scenes after their dinner is that they're basically all waiting in bed and it's kind of like they're all playing chicken to see oh, which guys go home first. This is the best shot. It's a Frakes shot. It's a beautiful shot. A Frakes shot? Yeah. As like in Jonathan? As in Jonathan. Whenever he films an episode of Star Trek, he gets high. Mm-hmm. And in like you, you, stoned high or like angle high? Stoned high. No, angled high. He he like looks at the Star Trek set from a way you haven't seen it before. And that shot was 
so interesting because it threw it up into the corner of the studio mm-hmm. that they were shooting in. And you just slowly watch the two guys that matter less disappear into the night when they realize nothing's going to happen for them. Mm-hmm. And Jamie and Nola are left on the bed snuggling, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I don't know. We definitely did this in college where you're hanging out in a dorm room with a few other friends mm-hmm. And you're just trying to get everyone but your crush to go away. Uh, yeah, I've de- like that That happens at least <laughs> once a semester. And I was so disadvantaged because the girls I always wanted. Well, first of all, I was in the only guys only dorm. So my home base, um, there weren't I couldn't walk down, wander down a hall and there'd be a girl's room to say what's up. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to go to a completely different building to do it in. And I was always at a disadvantage. Did you do it do in it? high school or in college? I did none of it. <laughs> um, you can cut that later you, if you want. You would get in trouble. We went to a nice Christian school where no one did it, right? Put your hand down. <laughs> um, but all the girls I wanted to hang out with were in the co-ed dorms. And they would come to a point where it's like, well the guy who the other guy in this dorm room lives down the hall i live across campus i can't justify being the last one to leave because he just needs to walk down the hall to go home and i've got to like actually go home so it would look kind of and he's smiling at you the whole time he knows because he won because he knows he won son of a bitch and i'm just like i had a lovely evening ladies but this uh this whole (laughs) getting back to the movie the whole thanksgiving scene um it kind of shows the like all of these men have not necessarily i'm not going to say been insecure because i would say the insecure one is greer like he's he's the most vain and insecure out of all of them and i would say um mars is probably the most prideful but in not in a, not meaning in a bad way, but he's just like, I will fight you. Yeah. Like he's he's the most combative of them. Yeah. And then he shouldn't be fighting people. No, he's he's definitely the smallest. And Jamie is just kind of sitting back in the cut, like biding his time, being mm-hmm. the most patient. Mm-hmm. And it really is emblematic of how they exist with Nola as well. Yeah. Though. And Nola's kind of just happy to let them wait it out. Because she'll just go to sleep, and she does. Right. She I just mean, falls asleep in her bed, and she 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 puts up like a uh, you know you guys you guys stop fighting and stuff. But like, why invite them all there if you like you know all of these guys? Like, I here's I think the, she's like um, her struggling through making it work. Right. I know, and she's she's giving it a valiant effort because if these gentlemen were more mature, they would be able to say, "I'm not okay with this." This isn't for me. I have to leave. Or they would say, like, I'm fine. Yeah, I'll come and be a respectable person here, which Jamie pretty much does. But she's like, you got to know that Greer is not going to yeah. handle that well. And that's why he's the first to leave, right? He is the first to leave. He even tries to leave earlier and she goes and gets him and yeah. brings him back. So that's why that shot is so important for the film, because that is just kind of the shot that represents the whole plot of they're in this relationship playing chicken just hoping the other guys are going to bow out before they do that's a really good phrase if they can last long enough they win 
that's all it really comes down to and is just kind of always nudging her like, why are you going out with that guy? Good night. Good night. Wait, 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 wait. Is Jamie there? Like, he's not like Mars. That guy's weird. Why are you going out with Mars? Mm -hmm. And they are all playing this game, except for Jamie plays it the least. He takes it. He doesn't he doesn't point fingers at the other guys. He points fingers at them and be like, why are you jeopardizing you and me? Right. Because he's the only one that's up front with her. And he says he's like, I started dating somebody a couple weeks ago and I need you to choose. Yeah. Um, like Because at, at one point in time, he starts dating the dancer that was. Like she's she is the same dancer that danced for like at one point in time, he does a birthday present for Nola where it's this really weird dance um, in color as well. Oh, I like thought the, that was stunning. No, it was. Here's the thing. It was really beautiful. But if you didn't realize you were in an art film until that moment, it was just like you are in an art film. Oh, well, I guess so. But it was so it was such a. So what happens is he brings over nothing and he just covers her eyes and he tells her her, birthday yeah yeah, and he tells her to do what um judy garland does in the wizard of oz which is click her heels together and say there's no place like home and then it turns into color i want you i want you to click your heels together three times and repeat after me there's no place like home oh come on come on now just for the surprise there's no place like home this better be good it's gonna be uh (laughs) two three there's no place like home there's no place like home there's no place like home. 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 Hit it. And then, so this movie has been black and white until then, and then it cuts to a color shot, and it has the exact same effect that happens in The Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's gorgeous. Like, it is so stark going from that black and white to this color. And it and it's not just color, but it is it is saturated perfectly. Yeah, because it's the green grass and the blue sky and And like what they're wearing. Yeah. Yeah. And and these these people basically get up and do a dance to a song that is kind of about Nola, I want to say. Yeah, I guess so. I it's I think it's a famous I think it's like Miles Davis or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a nice little dance and (laughs) yeah, but it's, but let me, let me make this clear. We watch all three minutes of this dance. You didn't like it. I liked it. No, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think, I thought the dance was fine. Um, you're saying at three minutes long, it felt long. I just, (laughs) I, I like this dance. Like he, he got these two people to come perform this dance Mm -hmm. about these two people that and they basically kind of acted out their relationship. I guess I didn't take it as literally, and I took it more abstract, because I guess my one of my favorite movies is An American Paris, which does that. <laughs> yes, you're right, but that is a musical. <laughs> well, this is a musical moment. You're right, it's a musical moment in an otherwise non-musical movie. I'm not yeah. saying I didn't like it. it. It's weird, but I liked it. for different could be a real good rule. There she goes on her merry way, though she's only queen for a day. Yeah, I guess, but on the curve of what the film already was, are you saying it's weird? Like, we're already in this art house, black and white, low budget movie where he's pulling out as many stops as he can. And this is just like another trick in his bag, I felt. It was fun. 
it was just fun. Like I didn't like, see it as another like flourish he has is later he we see a character on a subway and instead of filming it, it's just a series of stills. A series of stills, which this movie has stills all over the place anyways. And so I that part again was one of those moments where he has stills at the beginning of the movie and it's mm-hmm. just mainly of Brooklyn, um, mainly of like people living in Brooklyn and it's really beautiful. Like these photographs are gorgeous mm-hmm. and he has them peppered throughout the film where he just kind of takes a break and it's it's like a, a Woody Allen season shot. Yeah. Um, just to kind of break up the action and yeah. be like, hey, we're in New York just to, just to let you know. Yeah. And it's beautiful. But then at one point in time... Um, Nola has got to have it and calls Jamie to come back over and he's discombobulated emotionally. And so we watch him come over with music in the background and photographs of him on the subway, which is from a producer standpoint, genius. I know <laughs> it's genius because it saves you don't a have, lot of money. You don't, you, you don't have to have a film crew. You just, it's Spike Lee with his, his camera and mm-hmm. the actor, he shoots the stills and they're done. It, for me, for the first couple minutes or first couple seconds of that, I was like, "Why? Oh, oh, it's it's him. It's, it's him. our character. Yeah, okay." And so it was. It was good. I'm just saying that I did. The dance was fine to me, regardless. <sighs> anyway, so I'm gonna uh, say I liked the dance a lot. Okay, and really I, good. I thought it was super beautiful. I I thought the jump to color was great. I thought the idea of that for a birthday present was good. It was more just like. To me, the dancers seemed like they were of two different schools of dance and they were doing they were they were doing like kind of modern contemporary, but then they'd throw in like some I don't know, it just seemed weird. Regardless, Jamie starts sleeping with this with this dancer <laughs> who yeah. was one of the dancers for the uh, the birthday present. And he at one point in time he's in bed with nola and he's like by the way i've been seeing somebody for two weeks and and he says this in the middle of the night and he's like all right i'll go back to bed so think about that for a sec (laughs) if you really want me get back at me and it's like you don't have that conversation then jamie yeah like that is an inappropriate time to tell somebody to think about something because then they're gonna have to stay up all night it's just a very selfish thing to do see i've never been in relationships like that and Cause I've only been in like one. <laughs> so I don't know these rules. So I'm just kind of like, all right, seems legit. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fine. Jamie's feeling, I feel like Jamie's feeling like he has the time and opportunity to be selfish because he probably feels that Nola is being selfish with having three lovers when he doesn't want that in a relationship. Yeah. But that's just his perspective, man. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, like this, I mean, that's basically the movie. Yeah, it's a simple film, and it's yeah. it's just a I what I read on IMDb is something like they shot it in like fourteen days, yeah, thirteen that makes or sense. fourteen shooting yeah. days. Which how many days did we shoot Emily on? Sixteen. Sixteen days with nineteen thousand dollars. Yeah, and I think Spike Lee had something like thirty thousand dollars yeah. for this, uh-huh. which adjusted for inflation, they had more money than we did. So, <laughs> yeah, but that's they had a better concept for. Like if you're going and they had Spike Lee, come on, like he just knew what he wanted and knew what he was doing. Well, not only that, but like most of what he's shooting is a room with two people. Yeah. Or one person talking to the camera. Yeah. It's that like if you're going to have a small budget, that is the the way to do it. Yeah. So 
on our scale of films right now, it's she's got to have it in Francis Ha. And I think she's got to have it is probably technically even lower budget than Francis Ha. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. That I mean, they didn't travel to France for this one. Yeah, I'm going to say definitely because Francis Ha. Francis Ha has like lots of characters. They have dancers. Sag, yeah. Sag. Oh, there's dance in that one, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, OK. Do you like the dance in Francis Ha? Is that relevant enough for you? Yeah, it has something to do with the story. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, 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 I don't care. I, I don't want to talk about the dance anymore. But in in Francis Ha, you have like all of these people, like two of these is is um, Joie Lee. Is that um, Spike's sister? Seems like it. And and the dad is his dad. Is his dad, right? Yeah. Um, Joie Lee is good. Yeah. I really like I wanted to see more of her in this movie. I wonder if they always played together like that, that they did theatrical stuff together. That makes sense. They look alike and they have like similar sensibilities. Yeah. Seemingly. Um, and like Spike's dad is Nola's dad. And he plays like the bass at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it's, it seems like a family affair in the same way that like the Godfather is kind of a family totally, affair. Yeah. Totally. So the, the film, the weakest aspect I would say is the, acting yeah like like we said but it but it kind of fits in a way like the the acting isn't oscar worthy in this film uh it's nowhere near oscar worthy no it's not it's not good i would say a lot of it's subpar i'd say a lot of it's subpar as well i i i really liked um a lot of what jamie was bringing to the table for the most part yeah, and I think the um, best is from Spike Lee. Yeah, uh, me too. Um, Spike really brings a bit of personality to this film, and Nola is fine. But like the rest of the characters, I'm I'm like I can take you or leave you. Yeah, yeah. And I think Spike Lee's the best, probably because there's no like communication breakdown between director and actor. He's just like, okay, I, ne- I, I know what I need here. Yeah, and I yeah. think for a lot of first time filmmakers, there's understanding how much you can do as a director working with actors and half of it is how uh qualified and talented your actors are in the first place and the other half of it is how you can work with your how well you can work with your actors and i think when he gets to do the right thing territory where you have extremely powerful performances i think it's both that you have people like Samuel L. Jackson and, you know, really established some of the best actors uh, out there. And then this movie, it's, I don't know. I haven't seen these guys in anything else. I don't know if they're friends. I don't know if they were actors. Well, you've seen, you've seen, um, Joie Lee in do the right thing. Yeah. But I mean, the other principles, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, Joie Lee's in like five minutes of this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, they've probably been, I've probably seen them in other things and just not known it because they seem like people that Spike knew in New York and he's like, let's make a movie together. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, we've all, we've all done that and been there. And I would think for $30,000, this is a pretty, pretty good film. Yeah. And it's like, if you watch, regardless of the acting, right. If you watch Francis Ha, Greta Gerwig's easily the best actor in the movie. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, the roommates, Benny and what's his name, are really good, too, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like a, a descending order of like they're not getting the top actors, the 
the best of the best. It's like everyone else in the movie is pretty good. And well, they're getting new actors, which is what this movie did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's pretty good in Francis. It's not great in this movie, but that's okay because there's so much else going on. Yeah. Like there's this scene. I I don't like Greer, but when he first like we get to see um, Nola have sex with all three of her gentlemen and man, Spike really wants to focus on the nipple here. Yeah, there's a lot of nipple shots. I think I think Spike is just like, look, like we need, but he both normalizes and sexualizes the nipple at the same time. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there's like this. There's this the scene where he's having sex with Nola. It's just like a really long slow motion take of him sucking on her nipple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but kind of indulgent. It is kind of like I just put myself. I want to put myself in the director's shoes and be like, okay, so what my character is going to do <laughs> is X. And it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like the actual shot composition and the lighting for the black and white is really beautiful in that moment. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, it seems like one of those conversations where I feel like if I did that as a director, somebody would look at me and be like, are you sexually taking advantage? Well, this is why we hire intimacy specialists now for this Uh set. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, Spike does a really good job setting up all of the different shots for sex. Like with Jamie, who's the first person that we see have sex with her. It's very traditional in the way it shoots its sex scene. It's, Mm -hmm. it's also very, um, very intimate between the two of them. They're both kind of on the same level. They kind of go back and forth between like making out with each other, being on top of each other. And there's, there's a good amount of back and forth in um, hers and Greer's. It's just, <laughs> it's kind of art artsy and animalistic. It's, it's, yeah. but it's also got one of the best gags before sex when he oh. takes off his clothes and he has to fold them. It's one of the funniest things I've seen recently. Yeah. Because Greer is that vein, that vein where he, like she takes off her clothes and she's in bed and then she watches Greer for the next, like, literally two minutes of screen time slowly take off and fold his clothes and he's behaving as if folding the clothes is part of a strip tease but right. she looks so bored she's so bored get on with it yes get on with it and then with uh like i said before with spike it's like more just about him like mm, loving that nipple <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but in in that we kind of get that that three different that three-pronged monster, <laughs> sex, <laughs> sexual innuendo not intended, um, of the boyfriends where they each kind of bring her something else, um, which is a completely legitimate way of living and being. It's just not for those three gentlemen for very much longer. Although I'd say Spike is generally the one that's probably the most okay with it. Yeah, he has contingencies. What, what were they? Well, there's this other girls. Oh, he gets to be with other girls. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't remember that, but sure. Yeah. I believe you. No. When he, when he calls Nola and he wishes her happy birthday. Oh yeah. He calls another girl. That's and right. And he's like, Hey, <laughs> Hey, I've been thinking about you. Like I, I would say probably, uh, the closest male comp in this situation is Spike Lee Mars. Yeah. Um, but that being said, this movie is about, kind of the fact that men do this all the time and it's not necessary. I would say this movie doesn't get into it, 
but this movie was probably made to point out the fact that men have multiple partners and it's questioned less than women having multiple partners, especially in the eighties. I think this idea is implicit to the film and does not need to make it clear. Yeah. It, it could have been made stronger, but I mm-hmm. think the movie itself is saying, look, if you find yourself judging Nola, stop, think about it for a second yeah. and realize guys do this. Why are you judging Nola? Right. And, and I think it's kind of oddly epitomized in in different ways where with Spike Lee, he just immediately calls somebody else, but we never see Nola being like, Hey, who else are you sleeping with? Yeah. And which in a poly relation, like a true poly relationship that has like kind of trust involved, everybody would be communicating about this. But, um, with Greer, he's always just like, you know, I can be with fine girl, you know, next week. And he probably is it. I think that's kind of implied in this film. And, um, Nola's like, stop telling me about all these other people that, you could be with yeah um but jamie's the one who's only interested in monogamy he's like i all i want to do is date you and what i would rather have a relationship with you he's interested in building a relationship do you know i'm i'm curious do you know a lot of people personally who are in poly relationships um, I mean, I've known quite a few throughout my life. I don't know what their current status is. Yeah. Like, cause I haven't checked up and been like, Hey, how's Polly? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know I've known quite a few people in my life, but I mean, everyone has relationship problems. No one never has not relationship problems. I always just figured the Polly. it's like, wow, you probably have the hardest just in terms of there's quantity of people to juggle, not juggle, but there's just. It's hard enough for me to be in a relationship with one person. I, I feel think, like that's the cliche. It's like now you're adding another person. I think from the comp, there's a compartmentalization of um, of like it, and this movie kind of tackles that pretty well. Is if you're in a relationship with multiple people at the same time, you because different people are different and bring different things to a relationship. You're receiving. Your, your relationship with each of these people are giving you different aspects of fulfillment, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I mean, it's, it's like saying, I mean, people are people. And so, yeah, of course they would have relationship problems, but if you're, I think the, the main thing with any of uh, any of the poly people I've talked to about it is just that honesty is a really important thing. Cause when I've seen those relationships break down, it's when somebody hasn't been honest and is like, I slept with this person and like they ended up having like an, an STD or something. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I wasn't telling you I was sleeping with this person because that's like another rule. You want to make sure that right. everybody's being very safe. Yeah. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's, it's pretty simple when you're like, Hey, I, if everyone's being honest and right. everyone's communicating properly that you should do in any relationship, that, that doesn't mean that breakups aren't hard. Yeah. Like, uh, like if you're breaking up and you're like, actually, I want to be monogamous with this person. That doesn't mean the other person isn't going to be hurt because it's superficial. That's feelings are obviously still super involved, but the intentionality behind it is we are, we are being a village like rather than like like it takes a village kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it takes a village. And this movie it says if nothing else, Nola Nola wants a village. Nola gonna get a village. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm curious to learn more. <laughs> um, and I wonder how read, the- read Sex at Dawn. <laughs> Sex at Dawn. Sex at Dawn. It's a good book. Sex at Dawn. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Uh, I want, well, I want her, I want, I want to hear from the people. Well, send us an email to romcomgents at gmail.com. And uh, if you want to be open and honest about <laughs> what Polly means to you, let us know. Fill us in. <laughs> I wonder if the show does a more concerted job to explore this idea in today's context. I think not only in today's context, but if you take this concept and stretch it over a TV show, it's obviously going to have more time to really explore the mores and also mm-hmm. the benefits of this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting the movie the the movie she's got to have it. It doesn't feel like it's trying to characterize Nola in a specific way. It's trying to characterize her in a fair way. Yeah, it's almost trying to beg you to characterize her so it can say, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. Like, don't do that. It presents her very clearly, and it's not doing something where it's saying, it's not a cautionary cautionary tale of a sex addict. It's not a cautionary tale of a nymphomaniac. It's not any of and they dissuade that through the doctor like at one point in time like greer childs right he goes he's like hey you need to see a doctor because you might be a sex addict yeah and nola goes and sees what it like eventually just seems like this doctor ends up being her therapist for a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. and she's like you're fine and the doctor uh gives one of the interviews to the camera as well and she's like it just seems like she's a woman who wants to have sex yeah. Like that's and and it's Spike Lee being like <laughs> Hi, I'm looking at you. This is this is all this is. That's it. Like stop being so judgmental. Um although the one time I feel like that was super ham fisted was the conversation about um le- the lesbian character, um o- Opal. Mm-hmm. She has a conversation with Jamie where they uh, where Nola is kind of sick and they both want to be there and take care of Nola. And Jamie feels really competitive and um, and Opal is being is kind of like poking him with the fact that she's like, ooh, maybe maybe Nola does want me. Yeah. And these characters are like butting heads. And yeah, it's like some of, it's honestly some of the worst acting in the the whole thing. But yeah, the, the writing is it was some of the only writing that I was not into because it was very ham-fistedly being like, just because I'm beautiful doesn't mean like I can't be a lesbian. Yeah. And it's like, no crap, <laughs> but I'm giving it to the eighties that maybe Spike Lee had heard this conversation one too many times and was just like, stop, stop thinking that w- like one sect of people have to fit a stereotype. Yeah. So it, it wasn't good writing, but maybe it was necessary writing. I don't know. Yeah, and a lot of rom-coms, I mean, 90s Hollywood rom-coms aren't going to get anywhere near this territory. No, yeah, it's funny because this is 1986, but come like 1996, there's no way a rom-com would touch this. Yeah, any aspect of it. Um, in the aughts, we're start, we would start to get into yeah. that. And, and especially in the teens. Yeah. yeah. And in the 20s? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I I think this movie, of all the rom-coms we looked at, is one of the better ones to make me think about how relationships function mm. and work. And I think, I think a lot of problem, like problems that we have socially is I think a lot of people don't understand how other things work. 
Right. And then also, since they don't understand how it works, they don't know how to communicate about them. Yeah. And yeah. I think this is a good chance to have a movie like this. And again, it's 1980s and it's it's not super <laughs> woke about everything. That's for our current context in the sense of it's not precisely getting at what our current relationships look like in the 20s in 2020 oh no but like for the time highly yeah and i still think it's worth having in today's conversation to get the ball rolling in terms of talking about like poly of Mm -hmm. like i don't really know how that works it's like well this movie kind of gets at it it doesn't get at it completely but this is a movie's taking a stab at it doesn't it. give you the one two three rules of like what that means but it has a character who is vying for a kind of sexual freedom and let's get to the end of the story here where she breaks up with both mars and greer and then tells jamie like hey i love you and i'd like to be with you but i need like a break yeah from sex yeah and then that didn't last long and you're thinking maybe they're going to be together at the end but then lee is like no she just wants to have as many sex partners as she wants yeah and, and okay yeah and like it's it's not satisfying and it's not climactic necessarily like in a romantic kind of way it's just giving it's it's giving you exactly what the premise gave you yeah and so if i said something like um, she's promiscuous. That would feel like a um, slight. Yeah, but it's not. Yes. Yeah. And so this movie is like, I could, I can imagine the like, um, uh, the conservative, the Fox News headline film review of this like rom com about promiscuous women trying to ball three guys, <laughs> something like, <laughs> or as as uh, Spike Lee would say, bone down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's like, no, that's not accurate at all. Um, you could try and characterize it like that, but that's you bringing in your prejudices and judgments to this film. Exactly. Yeah. I think the movie's probably the fairest look at something that other movies would be unfair about. Yeah. I think it, it brings up, um, I mean, I, I've seen this perspective from, I'm trying to think like, I know that there is a movie about a woman dating three men that has come out like in the last 12 years or so. I'm trying to remember what it was. And it's like, she's there's these three guys that she's choosing and it's, but it's like definitely far more white bread, far more just, Definitely, maybe? Yes, that's the one. No, no, that's not the one. Is it not? No, because that's Ryan Reynolds explaining to his daughter who her mother is, and he tells three different stories, and we have to guess who the mother is. Oh, okay. Well, it's it's something like that. But I feel like there's not going to be a movie who that speaks so explicitly about this. So the template that is probably the most obvious template Spike was going off of is... Um, Jules and Jim. Sure. Yeah. It's about Jules and Jim is about two men who share a girlfriend. Right. Although she does kind of go back and forth between them. But there are times there are times where they're, where they're, they're sharing and there are other times where she's bouncing between one right. or the other. Mm-hmm. And that film is from Francois Truffaut. It's from 1963. Somewhere around there. 
It's part of the French New Wave. Uh, very classy, very If you stylish. like this film, go watch that film. Yeah, yeah, and you'll definitely see the connection, both black and white. Um, both uh, take great liberties for style and trying to communicate um, the story. Yes, and the I mean the other obvious, extremely obvious influence for this is Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely like New Yorker, stylized. Like Woody Allen has a style that is New York inflected, and Spike has a style that's New York inflected. They're both New York filmmakers. Chapter one. He adored New York City. He idolized it all out of proportion. Uh, no, make that he he romanticized it all out of proportion. Better. To him, no matter what the season was, this was still a town that existed in black and white and pulsated to the great tunes of George Gershwin. Uh, now, let me start this over. Chapter one. Right. And I, I don't think this is saying anything necessarily about Spike. So many filmmakers were especially in the like late 80s were influenced by Woody Allen's early films especially New York filmmakers yeah but I mean I'm just gonna say it like the openness about sex as well like being in New York it just it felt like I was watching something akin to Manhattan but on a much smaller scale right yeah yeah and uh with something like Jules and Jim there's nothing outrageous about it because it's French (laughs) <laughs> and and those crazy French, they're always having sex with each other. And there's this weird double standard that when it comes to like European art house movies, it de- those movies can depict relationships that go against the grain of nuclear family, monogamous, heteronormative stuff. Mm-hmm. And it'll be like, oh, well, it's European. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's our European blanket. It doesn't count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not scandalous because mm-hmm. it doesn't. It's it's not a part of our American fabric. Mm-hmm. But then when you have a movie like She's Gotta Have It, again, I can see people being like, that's not how it should be. That's not how I was raised. And they're seeing their world being represented in a different way. Well, I mean, and we get that through one of uh, Nola, or Nola's dream. Um, that girl who's like, I'm from Brownton or whatever she says. And like, girls don't do things like that there. Yeah. But a movie like Manhattan... It's it's strange because Woody Allen seems more like the liberal as a filmmaker and be like, these things are okay. We shouldn't, you know, be so judgmental about stuff. But I felt like Spike Lee is, he's not even bringing it in. No, he's really not. He's not talking about like, is this okay or not? He never asked the question. No, he he has, if anybody's judgmental about what Noel is doing, it's obvious that they're in the wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it's mainly Greer. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking Greer. <laughs> Goddamn Greer. Um, but yeah, he does uh, a very nuanced job of saying, look, this is how she wants to live. Stop. Deal with like, it. Like, just either, either get out of the really cool apartment she lives in or hang out with her and be okay with it. And what's great about that attitude is that I never feel like the movie's going to go in a predictable manner. Yeah. I, I never knew where it was going next. Whereas there are a lot of Hollywood films, and I hate them. I hate them. Where the plot is this. Happily married man in a relationship. It's usually a thriller. Happily married man encounters a dangerous woman. Mm-hmm. And they have a sexy affair. But? He's got to keep it a secret. Uh-huh. Because if he doesn't, his life will crumble. Then what happens? It crumbles. Ah. <laughs> and it's every time. 
his life goes to shit. And it's just like, guess he shouldn't have done that, right? And it's like, I guess. <laughs> it's just, it's so predictable. And it's so like, you're like, what are you doing, man? Like, he's just like, this is a really bad idea for like all these reasons. I'm going to go sleep with this woman in like this public space. Like, just making all these mistakes where it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Gosh, there was one that um, I went to see on a date in high school once. It was the worst mistake. Um, it was Clive Owen, Jennifer Aniston. There's your first mistake, Clive Owen. I and you know what? <laughs> Ryan has something against Clive Owen. I do not. We don't need to get into this. We'd be talking about this for a while. Anyway, it's basically what happens is he decides to sleep with this woman that he meets on the train and then he gets to like the place that they're going to sleep and he gets knocked out by somebody who breaks into the apartment and then that person rapes Jennifer Aniston and then but then like you find out throughout and then like blackmails him as well but then you find out it was a setup and Jennifer Aniston is like in on it oh my gosh it's it is just the absolute it is horrible it's like kind of a don't do anything wrong or you're going to be punished severely. Yeah. And a lot of the time it's just I feel like screenwriters are like playing out their fantasies so that they can feel safe and be like, you can just tell the subtext of whatever going is going on. In the mind of the writer is like, man, I really want to have an affair. How would that go? And then they like write a plot to scare them out of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I. Yes. <laughs> and. The reason why it's predictable is because there's this super ego aspect where it's like, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, don't do it! <laughs> and then he he does the thing and it's bad, whereas that's not here in this movie. There's no super ego going on saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Yeah, I mean, each one of the sex scenes, uh, whether it's artistic, intimate, or um, or odd, it's... It's not it's not saying it's just looking at a different aspect of sex. It's it's almost documentarian in that regard. Yeah. Like like it kind of follows with the rest of the the documentarian style we've seen. Yeah. And, and like I was kind of getting at before earlier and saying, like, we always fear what we don't understand. And these are the kind of movies that we need to be having everyone watch is that it's just like if you encounter someone who has this kind of lifestyle, watch it with your grandma. <laughs> But like me, not in a ton of relationships growing up, married pretty quickly after college, very vanilla white bread nuclear family I've got mm -hmm. for myself. That's how I want to live. That, that was my choice. And I see movies like this where it's like, huh, I would never do any of that. But tell me more. <laughs> like, I'm curious. And I, me asking about it, I hope it doesn't come off judgmental that I don't know about a lifestyle oh, no, that no, I don't no, have. no, not at all. I think here's the thing, uh, like like any any group of people, like any lifestyle, like any food that you haven't had, you, you don't really you don't really understand it until you've a either entertained the idea and experience it or b learned about it in some mm -hmm. way. Um, I have dated multiple people at the same time. Um, but can you tell me in what time frame of your life this was? It was in my mid twenties. Okay, um, and it wasn't it wasn't for a long time at all. But I'd never done it before, and the the politics was like it was a strict learning curve, like mm. because it, you know it had to. Um, I I had 
I had been kind of a monogamous guy that went from like long-term relationship to long-term relationship yeah. before, or just been single for a while. Yeah. But like consistently date. And it, like I said, it wasn't for a very long time, but consistently dating multiple people at the same time is, is something that had felt so taboo until I experienced it. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, everybody's fine with this. Okay. But did you, you didn't do that for long though. You stopped doing it. I did because I, was that out of circumstance or out of personal preference? Um, it was, it was more out of, there was somebody I was interested in having a more long-term relationship with mm-hmm. and I wasn't as interested with other people. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's where I'm being called to. Yeah. And the, but you know, whatever gets you into or out of those situations, it's kind of all where you are in your life. And, um, I, I have a lot of friends who judge like serially monogamous people for being in those relationships. Yeah. And then I have a lot of friends who judge people who are like permanently single or permanently poly. And it's like, guys, 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 stop. It's okay. There's, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of ways to, you know, I'm turning into Cat Stevens right now, but there's a lot of ways to be with other people. <laughs> yeah. um, and so just, just accept that and stop judging people. Well, that's what I, I feel like the social media doesn't help with. Uh, there's, I see kind of a liberal attitude of like this passive aggressive attitude of like, no, I'm not getting married because I'm 27 and I'm not going to choose this lifestyle because you think it's, you know, the thing to do. And I'm like, I didn't say it was for everyone. I'm just saying I'm getting married and. Yeah, but nobody here. Hold on. Nobody says that directly to you. No, no, no. I just mean (laughs) there's these posts of like. Not close friends, but do you know what I mean? There's a passive aggressive attitude of like, I'm I'm living this way, deal with it. And it's like, no one had a problem with it. I never well, had a problem with it. Well, I, I think if anybody's doing that, it's generally coming from family having a problem with that. Yeah. Um, and needing to voice it in, in the same way where it's like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I see people on, on both sides of the spectrum being like, you know what? I don't want your lifestyle and don't force me into it. And it's like, <laughs> no well, one was. <laughs> nobody's wanting to do that. And that I'm going to, I'm going to say goes extremely both ways, whether you're very liberal or very conservative about your persuasions. This, this movie does go against the grain of like, it's still taking the tack that what we're depicting here is fine and healthy if mm-hmm. you can you know get everyone to be on board with what she's doing which that's the conflict is that people aren't being honest people aren't being i think negotiated it's, properly i think what it's saying is it's fine for nola right and but it's not fine for either of these characters because they have a concept of love that they need fulfilled that isn't that concept yeah but the movie kind of knows like but it's not common what Nola is dealing with. No, I, I, I think I think especially for 1986, she's in a, a more unique in, uh, situation than, you know, her four next door neighbors. So that's what the movie does acknowledge is that it is bringing in that and saying we understand that what Nola is doing and what Nola wants and what Nola wants to do is not what the average person 
is doing. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's epitomized by um, all of all three of the guys' um, reactions to her, right? And then also to the, the dream she has, which is um, basically these three women that are all interested in um, the three guys that she's with, basically yelling at her and lighting her on fire. Yeah. Um, and the it, it, that is society saying what you're doing is different. There goes that home wrecker. I know she's trying to steal my man. No good sleeping around stank, bitch. You know, I don't blame Greer. I blame her. She knew he was mine. If Nola had loved Jamie, it would have been different. Love? Oh, come on. She just fucks them and leaves them. It's sisters like her who are corrupting our men. The few good ones left. I'll be damned if she takes Mars from me. I'm four months pregnant. Mm-hmm. The decent black men are all taken. The rest are in prison or homos. I've gone to bed alone too much already. I'm from Brownsville. We don't play that shit. So what should we do to her? Let's set the bitch on fire. Your fucking days are over. Miss Girl will never steal another man again. Yeah. And but that is also society not understanding her and putting all the blame on her for being different and not looking at the men in the situation. Yeah. And but also that's coming from Nola's perspective. And so that's how she sees society viewing her. Yeah. Not how everybody in society society necessarily does. Yeah. Yeah. And if Hollywood tried to do this, they would ruin it with some kind of soapbox scene where they would make it a political thing, make it a political statement of like, I am going against the grain. I am deciding to live like this. This is my choice. These are like all like you could have just a, a scene where platitudes are just thrown around sure. and ruin it. I, you know what? I think that right now this might, this might be close to the time where Hollywood starts making movies that deal with this topic in a a more grown up way rather than in a um, a soapboxy way. In two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, there was a movie that came out called "The Kids Are All Right." Yeah, and that's uh-huh. when it was from Focus Features, I think, where Hollywood is like, "Let's just make a mainstream movie that's not a dark drama about." A, a gay couple and it's just let's just treat it as normal because mm-hmm. before then you had Brokeback Mountain which is like gay cowboys like this is drama this is like not normal this is like against the grain and, and the kids are all right is dramatic yeah but, but it also is lighthearted at the same time yeah and yeah. it's treating it its topic it's or it's its representation is far more common yeah, yeah you yeah. know not weird and then you had you know more it's funny that 10 years ago, it's like we're getting these stories now about gay icons. But now, so you have like Milk with Sean Penn playing Harvey Milk, um, which is a great movie. But now we're already on the conversation of like, well, why is the straight guy playing this gay character? And so already in the past 10 years, not only did we start making it more common to sh- show that stuff, but now we're having the representation issue being actually dealt with. Then, you know, speaking of Hollywood, Ryan, what is this movie's rom-com Oscars? Yeah. Hmm. It's it's a weird one. It's an unexpected one. Best nipples. (laughs) I'm going to give it, strangely enough, best cinematography. Oh, okay. Lay it on me. I thought 
the way that the film was shot, but also developed, worked really well in its favor. Um, and it's something that this is why we need to have like uh, black filmmakers getting to do the, the, the behind the scenes stuff. Cause I thought the way that it looked it was shot in this stark black and white, high contrast look. So high contrast, it's like walls were white and people were and shadows were black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just the way that the characters stood out against the backgrounds because mm-hmm. everyone in this movie, everyone hundred percent. So. Yeah, I think the only people that aren't black that we see are in photographs. Yeah, and the black characters just look gorgeous in this movie because of the way it's lensed. Yeah, they the lens helps with that. I think um, like the lighting scheme with not only black and white, but just how they're lighting the scene also helps with that. Like the rim light was really good, which helps a lot when you're lighting somebody with darker skin. Yeah, yeah. and... Um, it's a really interesting thing um, I'm learning. I'm trying to kind of learn about this because one of my day jobs is I do color correction. And there is this weird conundrum that a lot of cinematographers don't know how to shoot black skin today on digital. Um, they're not lighting black skin properly. And I've seen a lot of YouTube videos of like black artists explaining like you're doing it wrong. Like mm-hmm. you're not seeing how well this can look and like i i i saw a video not too long ago and maybe i'll put it in the description but where you're lighting people with darker skin and lighter skin in the same shot and like if you have a two shot of some kind but you're also doing a close-up and they're like okay let's let's take like kind of two different lighting approaches from two different sides and so people are really thinking about it and yeah but it's something that like Spike Lee being where he was in the 1980s with the like the push he's trying to give the black community in the film world like he is he is doing the work for all the cinematographers to come mm-hmm. and it's it's really impressive yeah and uh what's his, um Ernest Dickerson mm-hmm. um he also uh was a cinematographer for uh, a lot do of the right things. things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I thought the film just looked beautiful. And he, he made this black and white look that would ordinarily on another film look amateurish. He just made it look wonderful. Yeah. Just beautiful. And it's a contrast to Francis Ha, which is also black and white digital. And I don't know. I feel like. If I had to choose between who's the better looking film, I'm giving it to She's Gotta Have It. I really liked Francis Ha's uh, shots. I liked the lighting in it more than I necessarily liked the lighting in this film. I liked the framing of this film a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, just where they placed the not only the camera, but the characters within it. Um, and like as exemplified with like a couple of the overhead yeah. shots or like yeah. the close up on the breasts yeah. with you know like there's there's a lot of really cool shots like that and Spike Lee also does this thing that you can kind of see in this film but you get a lot more in do the right thing where when a character is being confrontational they're like facing down the camera and oh, their shoulders yeah. are squared off like very subjective camera work right and and like Greer does that when he's on the um on like this weird workout machine yeah. that he's on. And you, you see that more and more, the more you go through his oeuvre. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so yeah, I, I, you know, that's a really good one. The best cinematography. I don't think it's my favorite cinematography out of the movies we've seen so far and all the movies we will see, but tops, but tops, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. You gave best sex scene to, um, to what movie booty call? No, not booty call. Uh, top five. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was, it was really good. Um, I was thinking about giving best sex scene to this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's three, and they're also unique and individualistic that I couldn't do that. Um, you could say best sex. Sure, you could. Um, I think what I'm going to give this film is, and this is going against what Sarah said, and you know it could get dethroned, but I'm going to give best supporting actor to Spike Lee <laughs> just because I was so tickled by his his delivery of all of his lines please baby please baby 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 please yeah that and he'd be like is this wait, is this your first Thanksgiving dinner tell me it's your first time it's your first time and I don't know it was we'll, we'll put that in here but it was it was such a unique character choice and it was it, like like this it it's not like he had a long time to develop it and this character feels like Spike Lee he's like calling out another black character for being too white yeah um like and he's like actually one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is um i think it's jamie who says to spike that's mighty black of you no jamie you're okay i've been thinking i'm gonna hook you up with nola you get four days i'll get three it's mighty black of you but i get the weekends though yeah, it's, it's such a good line. And so yeah. there's also like that writing in this movie. Um, but I'm just going to give it to Spike Lee for best supporting character. OK. Yeah, I think we should before we finish address address the what uh, Nora Nola calls a near rape scene. Oh, yeah. We should okay. probably talk about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you want to skip ahead, we'll be on this for like three minutes, I guess. Yeah. Um, basically, what happens is. <sighs> to to give it context, Jamie kind of gave her an ultimatum. Like he's like, pick me or I'm going to go be with this dancer. And she's like, after a couple of days, she can't necessarily choose yet. And she's like, Hey, I can't choose. I'm sorry. And he's like, okay, that's it then. And he leaves later that night. She calls him when he's with the dancer. And she's like, I need you right now. I need you to come over. And she makes it seem like it's an emergency and so he very reluctantly comes over and when he gets there he's like why am i here and she's like i knew i could make you come over and she's like makes it very clear that she wants to have sex with him yeah and then um well then he says kind of a disgusting line but a truthful line that he says you don't want to make love you just want to fuck or you just want to be fucked or something like that. Well, it's not a disgusting line. It's a it's a actually a very true line in yeah. that moment. Because I mean, maybe she does want to make love, but it seems like more than anything, she's just horny and, and she's she sad sex. that he's not there. Yeah. And you can read it multiple ways. That's just the way I read it. Yeah. But um, I think the movie makes it crystal clear is that she wants him over for sex. Mm-hmm. And then basically he he keeps saying no and then she keeps kissing him mm-hmm. and then he kind of kisses her back and then gets frustrated about it and like throws her down on the bed and starts having sex with her and he's he is 
he's frustrated because he feels used. He feels used and he feels like all he's good for to her is sex. Yeah. But then the way he's having sex with her is hurting her. Yeah. Because they start having sex and she's like, you're hurting me. And he keeps having sex with her. Like not for too much longer, but long enough that it's like you had a choice to make here and your anger is getting the better of you. And now it basically turns into rape. Yeah. It's only for like five seconds, but that five seconds is horrible. Yeah. And then he like kind of stops and then leaves. And uh, but like the sequence is so bizarre because when he's having sex with her, he turns into Greer and he turns into Mars. Mm-hmm. And so we I, we don't we it's kind of both of their I, I read it as being in both of their heads where right. he, he feels like he might as well be those other two people. Right. And she she's like, this is now meaningless because it doesn't matter who's having sex with me. Right. Uh, I'm just like I'm being used now and raped. Yeah. And and it's like this really complicated situation. Um, and then he leaves and they talk about it later on where yeah. she's like part of the reason why she wants to take a break from sex is what she very explicitly says like you know after you raped me and it's a it's a heavy moment but it's also two characters having a very op- like a pretty open conversation about that yeah and I, I felt like it was a really brave choice on spike's part he did say he regretted the scene later yeah mm-hmm. um that definitely should be made clear on the record. Um, he didn't, he basically said that he was young and didn't really totally grasp what he was doing with a scene like that, which again is just kind of like one of the only reasons I'll walk out of a movie. Like I didn't walk out of girl with dragon tattoo, but I was not having it. I just was like, I don't need to be watching this. I don't need to be looking at this. I think them bringing it up and talking about it. Like I said, it was a brave choice. I don't think it did the best job at necessarily handling the conversation about it, mm-hmm. but it did feel extremely real to me. Yeah, like for sure. The way they spoke about it and the way it happened felt like something that would happen in real life. And it didn't seem over-dramatized. Yeah. That's, I guess that's just how it, yeah. Yeah, and... um you know, she doesn't end up with him in the long run. Yeah, she chooses herself. And it's one of the things that because of that scene, if she did choose to be with him, that scene would complicate it where we would say, but is he an abuser? Is Does he deserve it? Is he worthy of it? it, it I, I, I don't think this movie is would at all say that Jamie is an abuser who like we don't see that as a pattern with him. This right. was a moment of passion. Right. That's not forgiving that action at all. But I know people who have been through moments like these mm-hmm. that are in relationships that are now healthy mm-hmm. because they went through the extremely hard work of addressing it. Yeah. And here's the thing. I am not saying that I condone those actions. I'm not saying that you should stay with somebody who does that. Yeah. Um However, everybody is different and situations are complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason why it's such a, if it was me making the movie, I wouldn't have that because it's just kind of like, this is, there's so much stuff. There's so much baggage with something like this. Yeah. I think that the scene, I guess this is where we rewrite the movie. (laughs) Um, I think maybe 
what that could have served that scene just as well to create conflict is if um, they honestly, if they had her grabbing him and he pushed her off of him. Right. And just by virtue of him maybe being stronger, she like falls down and hurts herself. And it's complicated in the same way where she is using him for sex and we still get that. And he was he became less than delicate like way more less than delicate than he should have been, but it didn't have to have a rape scene in it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, like when you're rewriting stuff like this, I mean, it's still us speaking as writers who do delve into darkness sometimes because that is part of the human psyche. But that being said, if you're, if you're triggered at all by that, um, it's, it's not going to be an easy scene. Yeah. Be aware. It's there. But otherwise, Um, Otherwise, okay. Uh, is there anything that we can put as a buffer between who would you fall in love with and that? Um, let's just talk about Mars for another second. Go ahead. His style. Mars Mars says that his... So Mars wears a necklace that's kind of a, a two chains. Um, yeah. uh, who's, who's the rapper I'm thinking of? Flava Flav. Flava Flav. It's, it's kind of... It's, it's just a big necklace. And... He says it's made out of gold. It says Mars, but it looks like it's made out of plastic. And he just said that he hasn't worked for two years. Like, yeah. where did he get the money for it? Yeah, I don't know. And he rides his bike everywhere. But man, he had he has those cool like '80s biker gloves. My dad had those same gloves. Yeah, yeah. And the tennis shoes, the Nikes. Yeah, he was really cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, who would you fall in love with, Ryan? Mars. Nice. <laughs> um, you don't even want to know why? No. No, I know why. No, why? Because he's the most fun. Yeah. Um, well, guess what? Me too. Yeah. yeah. Spike Lee, we've fallen in love with you. <laughs> Maybe the old roommate. She seemed cool. She seemed cool. Her name was uh, Clorinda. Um, she seemed she seemed pretty chill. She was like, I don't like guys coming over and having sex in my my place all the time. I get that. Totally that could get, get annoying. Um, but but to, like she seemed cool, but like I don't know her well enough. So I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. gonna say Mars. Mars. All right. Well, uh, what are we watching next week? Ooh. Randomizing. Give me a number between 1 and 178. I'm going to pick three because of Nola's three sex partners. The three. Oh, Ryan's face right here is almost like, uh, like he can't believe it. We are going to watch quite possibly... The worst rom-com. No, we just time. did that. Not with this one, but with last week's. Quite possibly. It's got to be my bottom 10 rom-coms of all time. We are watching Maid of Honor with Patrick Dempsey. Oh, okay. Okay. Have you seen this movie? I saw the last 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Um. So this is Patrick. This is our second Patrick Dempsey now. Yeah. Um, who is also in one of the worst rom-coms that we watched. Yeah. Uh, he has to go to a Scottish wedding for his best friend, even though he's in love with her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He should have just nutted up and asked her out. <laughs> hey, you fixed the movie. All right. Well, write us at romcomgents at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook or Instagram at romcomgents. Please rate and review us. We would love you to go over to Apple Podcasts and just tell us what you think of our pod. Show some love. Show some love. Send us some more great movies to watch. I don't think Spike Lee has another um, 
rom-com necessarily, but if you know any other cool movies out there that I've never heard of before, send it to me. Yeah, and in particular, we're actually looking for some specific things because we were grateful to get more uh, rom-com representations that uh, had either black filmmakers or uh, black stars in it. And so that definitely rounded out our list, which mm-hmm. was getting pretty white. Um, but, yeah, but it's 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 getting more diverse by the day. Yeah, yeah, and so what we're looking for is we're we're needing recommendations for Asian. Uh, it's something that Hollywood's doing a terrible job of. Because so we were talking about Crazy Rich Asians, which was the first Hollywood film with a predominantly Asian cast in 25 years. Right, and so like if you know any like uh, and foreign films, sign us up. Like we're we're into. Um, like some one car Y. Yeah, sure. I mean, we already have that on the list. Yeah. Um, but like and anything that you might know of that you're just like, oh, I caught this. It's really good. Check it out. And like romance and or rom-coms. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have to necessarily be funny. Yeah. But please, we're we want to know. And and even like I like even if there's like an anime or something. Yeah. Because like, I really yeah. want to do um, Whisper of the Heart on here. Yeah. It's definitely a rom-com. Uh, it's a Miyazaki film. Well, it's a Ghibli film. Um, Miyazaki did work on it. Um, yeah. So send us what you got. And even if it's not necessarily the most diverse film, maybe if it's the maid of honor and that's one of your favorite films, which it's definitely going to be a super white film. Yes. Set in Scotland. Um, <laughs> We're a couple guys who are in love with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah. Know? So it's fine there too. Just send them our way. Um, that's it. Yeah. That's our show. Everybody. Hey, Ryan, I, I know that I'm seeing a couple other podcasters right now, but I love you, okay? Please, baby, please, baby, 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 please. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on a gentleman's guide to rom-coms.